live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a great weekend. It's going to be a warm week. You will never, ever, ever hear me complain about warm weather in Wisconsin. This is what we wait all year for. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 You can find some, uh, keep track of a little bit of, of my weekend. Um, Friday night, went to the Brewers game. Matter of fact, my producer today and always grew. You were, I, I was in the Annex Wealth Management seats, Dave Spano's seats, front row. Only time I've been there. It was very, very cool, and I appreciate it. Thank you for the tickets, Dave, and Annex Wealth Management. You were eight rows behind me in the WTMJ seats. That's right, yeah. And you left after the 50, after you didn't win the 50-50 raffle drawing. That's right, it. right. <laughs> that's it. But they were ahead five to four. Yeah, that was not the specific reason of why I left, but that's when I left, yes. A- absolutely. Well, you figure, okay, okay, everything's under control. Well, it kind of all spiraled out of control, and it actually was a good game. Brewers were tied 6-6 six to six going into the 10th inning, and then they brought in Matt Boom Boom Alver- Alpers. I sent out a tweet, and I... I, I try not to be a hater on this. I, I really don't. But the the tweet, here's what I said. I think Matt Albers, and he's kind of the, the older sort of heavy set reliever. I said, I think Matt Albers is a fine person. And I can see that he's had his moments this year. But how many more times do Brewer fans have to watch him get lit up um, like a Christmas tree with the game on the line? And and because and, it was interesting, 10th inning, they bring in Matt Albers, and you can hear there's a visible rumble throughout the stadium. Like, okay, here, here, here we go again. And then <clears throat> yesterday, game is two to two. They bring in Corbin Burns. He gets lit up like a Christmas tree. But it's still the game is on the line. It's four to two in the seventh inning. You've still got a chance maybe to win. They bring in Boom Boom Matt Albers, and he walks a guy, and he walks a guy, and he gives up a hit, and he gives up another hit, and. As I said in the other tweet, if you follow me at Jeff Wagner at Jeff Wagner six twenty, it feels like Groundhog Day. Burns was awful, but at least he has an upside. Can Brewers management please, 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 please tell Craig Council to stop using Matt Albers unless the Brewers are either ahead or behind by at least five runs? I mean, I, look, I don't wish the guy ill. I really don't. Interviewed him on open day a couple years ago. Seems like a nice guy, but okay, I can't pitch. He can't pitch. Grew, you can't pitch. But we, we would have been better off. Friday, if you would have stayed around, they would have pulled you out of the stands. You could not have done worse than letting the first three guys get on base and then giving up a grand slam. You could not have done worse than Matt Albers did. Um, I, I just, I kind of feel sorry for Craig Council, and I'm a huge Brewers fan. I'm one of these guys that live and die with the different, with every every game, and it's just, it's just been tough. They're only one game over 500 now, and they're kind of sinking away. The other thing, and I want to be honest about the Brewers. All right, I was in uh, I was in Las Vegas in March. The over under for the Brewers was eighty seven games. I they won ninety six last year. I took the over. I thought they'd win eighty seven or more. They can still do it, but they need to go like thirty nine and twenty eight or something like that. And 
there's nothing you're seeing about this team now that convinces you that they can win 60% of their games. They're just, I, I hope they turn it around. Hope they turn it around, but it was kind of tough. Okay, let us get started. 414-799-1620. I, I was mentioning last week, and the, this was my just informal observations about Summerfest, having been there five or six days to broadcast during the day, and then I was there in the evenings twice. I was there the night of the Lionel Richie concert, and then I was there the, the last Saturday night when it was extremely well attended. You had all these, like, 17-year-old girls that were there for the Billie Eilish concert. But in general, my sense was that Summerfest was not hugely attended. Now, which I mean, they, they drew 700-plus thousand people, so don't get me wrong. That's a lot of folks. But, you know, hearkening back to the days of 800 or 850,000 or more, I didn't get the sense that it was that crowded. I went to the Lionel Richie show, and I'd say that was three-quarters full. Kind of surprised me that that didn't sell out. And the Jennifer Lopez show, I'm told it was the same thing, about three-quarters full. A little bit surprised that that didn't sell out. Now, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of problems that Summerfest had this year with regard to attendance. They had, I think, decent weather, but what happened was they had thunderstorms that moved through at least three days, and and it moved through at exactly the wrong time. Thunderstorms hit between like 4 and 5 o'clock, and I have no doubt that that discouraged the, the evening entertainment. Because even though the, the storms move through, if you know you get home from work, you're planning to go down to Summerfest, you get home, it's 4.30, and it's just raining hard enough that you think that Noah needs to build a boat, well, it's, you're kind of like, well, okay, I understand it's supposed to pass over and it's supposed to clear up by 7, but I don't want to drive down there. It's going to be wet. There's no doubt that the timing of the storms they had, even though there weren't any all-day washouts and there wasn't any brutal heat, the timing of the storms clearly hurt Summerfest. There's no question about that. And, of course, as the folks at Summerfest are quick and accurate to point out, they also lost a, a main stage headliner on July 4th. Ozzy Osbourne was originally booked. Um, he, he canceled his tour. Uh, they replaced him with Megadeth. And they closed, uh, they stopped uh, two weeks beforehand. Their lead singer was diagnosed with cancer or something, so they canceled. There wasn't time to find another show to put into the amphitheater. So on July 4th, which could have been a very, very big night, you know, that the 25,000-seat, you know, um, American Family Amphitheater is dark. That obviously didn't help. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But they announced this year, and they announced this on Friday afternoon, they had a 6% decline in attendance for 2019. Um, attendance in 2019 was 718,000 approximately. That was down from 767,000 last year. Uh, the Journal Sentinel says this appears to be the lowest attendance at Summerfest since 1986. You know, and that's what we talked about last year when the numbers came in at 766. This year they draw, you know, approximately 50,000 less. Now, on the one hand, Summerfest says nothing to worry about here. We think there were weather things. There was the July 4th thing. And, you know, the festival is still successful. The festival is still profitable. Vendors made money. And let's understand, you know, 718,000 people is nothing to sneeze at. That's still a lot of people coming through to check it out. 
Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Does Summerfest need to be concerned about this ongoing attendance drop? Or is this just the new normal? A lot more competition going on. There was a, a show, I believe, at Pfizer Forum during Summerfest. A lot more con- a lot more um, competition for the entertainment dollar. 700 plus thousand people is still a lot of people going in. Um, As Don Smiley correctly, by the way, points out, a lot of times what happens is you, you know, you want to have a critical mass, but you don't want to have so many people that you, you can't move around on the grounds. And for a lot of us, we enjoy, you know, I, I quite honestly, I enjoy not having to wait in line, you know, 15 minutes to use the bathroom or to be able to get a beer. At the same time, flip side is if you continue to have drops of 50,000 people every year, and I'm not predicting that's going to happen next year, if you continue to drop 50,000 and 50,000 and 50,000, it becomes, you know, an issue. And as I've pointed out on regular occasions, you know, Summerfest is 52 years old. There are a lot of music festivals that have come and gone over that period of time. Now, I'm going to tell you, I am not, I am not panicked about the overall state of Summerfest. I look at all the stuff they've done for the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. But, all right, let, let us tee this up. And I don't want to turn it into a gripe festival. Um, 700 plus thousand is a lot of people. But is, is, is this something we need to be concerned about, that you have a continuing attendance drop, or is this just where we are in the festival market? 414-799-1620. All right, Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, the numbers are in for Summerfest, down dramatically from last year, <clears throat> and last year was down dramatically from all other years. I mean, is this, it's still a profitable festival, people still go have fun, not pushing panic buttons, but, you know, is this an ongoing problem? Let, and, and, and if there is a problem, what, what is that problem? Now, keep in mind, I, there, there's a cycle for things, and there's a lot of music festivals right now that, c- quite candidly, have gone belly up. Summerfest isn't in any danger of, of doing that, but is, is this now the the new normal? Why is it that fewer and fewer people are, are going? And and I understand that they did have, you had weather situations, thunderstorms at absolutely the wrong time, three times during the day, and the cancellation of the show at the 4th of July. Okay, so you figure that out and you figure, okay, maybe everything working out, best case scenario, maybe they match last year's attendance, which again, would still have been one of the lowest in, in decades. So, okay, what's going on? And by the way, I am a huge fan of Summerfest and the people that, that manage it. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Good morning. Oh, good afternoon. Um, for years I've been going, and but years ago I would go on opening day out of tradition, but then I would go at least two, or at least two more times, you know, for a total of three, because there were bands that I really enjoyed wanting to see. Thing you know, bands of the caliber of Leonard Skinner, um, Big and Rich, but now over the last few years, uh, I still go on opening day. But then I look at the lineup, and really, there's nothing that 
tantalizes me. Now, are you talking about the lineup at the amphitheater or the lineup at the side stages? You mean like the free stages? At the side stages. I think Summerfest is cheaping out on the talent on the side stages. Mm -hmm. You think they're cheapening out, or do you think that there's just not as many bands out there that have huge enough followings to attract people from all these different demographics? Um, Well, here's the thing. I'm in the age group, similar to yours, where I've got the money to get in through the uh, to get in through the gate and to spend on right. You can buy beer and food. Yep. Beers, <laughs> yep. A few beers, you know, and that's those. That's the two things: the 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 uh, getting in the gate and the beer is the big revenue generator. Right. And uh, and also, I'm legal to drink, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But no, I, I just don't think the caliber of the side stage side stages are. You know, I have the most fun at JoJo's with the little local. You know, no name bands, but they're fun and you know. I, I would tell you, Sat- awesome. you speak of JoJo Saturday that that last Saturday night, we were up. You know, we spent about an hour watching the Love Monkeys. You know, at, at JoJo's Martini Lounge. You know, and yeah. and the place was absolutely packed. And you know, we had no yeah. thanks to call. I, no, I mean it is interesting. Matter of fact, one of my colleagues who knows a lot more about music than I did said, "Well, I wish I could call in and weigh in on this." He said, "I was he said that I, you know I, I walked around the grounds a lot, and a lot of the bands." that were you know playing at these stages just weren't that good now i i don't know how you'd necessarily judge that but he said they had djs at some of these places and that wasn't good either i i don't know i mean i i I sort of wrestle with this because i've been trying to think it through for example my my daughter and stepson my my stepdaughter and then step you know son-in-law i guess son-in-law they were um they used to when when they were younger. Now they're in their early forties. They they used to go probably six, seven, eight times, uh, you know, during the, the festival. Well, now that you know they're working and they've got kids, you know, they they go a couple times. Um, and I, I just I wonder whether or not the people that were their age, the people in the twenties or whatever, whether they're now going seven or eight times, and whether that's what you know, it repeat attendance is what really drives things. It's like if you look at Brewers' attendance, right, if the Brewers are going to get to 3 million, it's not because 3 million unique people go. It's because people that used to go or normally would go to maybe three or four baseball games a year decide that they're going to go to 10, or people that would go to 10 decide that they're going to go to 20. It, it's kind of the repeat customers. 414-799-1620. Debbie in Milwaukee. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I- I'm a local uh, resident, but I'm also a vendor, and I do events all over the United States. Uh, as far as Summerfest goes, you get such bang for your your money; it's unbelievable. Right for fifteen, twenty dollars to walk in the door versus Lapalooza, Coachella. Right. The problem is the people in the Midwest are very, very frugal. They like to see a lot of bang for their dollar. So I think the admission prices are great. I know the food prices are high. You know, all the drinks are high, but Summerfest has to cover their costs. Right. But what we're noticing is, is a lot of the younger people that come in, they don't have any money. They come in, they basically are buying food and drink, and they only come in once or twice because that's the end of their budget. The older entertainment that would be part of our age group, there's just not enough of it. And those people make the one or two trips down there. And I grew up on Summerfest. We, like the other callers have said, sometimes you're down there half a dozen times, if not the full year. Right. And we're losing that crowd because of the lack of entertainment. Part of that is who's touring. You can't bring bands in if they're not on tour. And, you know, you have to work around their schedules. So I, as a vendor, most of us vendors were hurting. 
the weather didn't help, but the people that were there, you know, they didn't seem to mind the rain, but it did stop people from coming in. You know, it's interesting. Um, you talk about the bands and the age group. I was there that that's the, the, the second, the, the, the senior day, you know, essentially where they had like the- my best day for sales was senior yeah, day. Yeah, well, they had the, like, for example, the Association, which is a band from yeah. the 60s. They were playing at the Briggs and Stratton. The place was packed. I mean, yeah. it, it was, now I, I understand maybe it wasn't like a 10 o'clock uh, crowd that you might get at Harley or something, but it there were a ton of people there watching, you know, this band from the 60s, the Association. Well, I was located down by the South Market, and the biggest crowd was for Chicago. Okay. It came out of the seats way back where when I used to go there years ago, they'd be all the way back to where the first set of vendors or, or booths would be. This year, that was the only band that brought those kind of crowds. Okay, so if you're advising Don Smiley and the Summerfest board, is there one thing that you would recommend? You have to diversify for the crowds because you got to get something from everybody. And I do understand that you can only get people that are out on tour. But I would dig into the corners and try to find groups that are more popular so that you bring in more people. Right. There were a lot of groups down there that people had heard of, but if they only have the one-hit wonders, people aren't going to show up. Something like Chicago where everybody knew every song, they were there. Granted, the majority of the band isn't even original anymore. You know how doesn't that matter. Goes? Right, doesn't exactly. matter. They're, they're here to they're there to hear the hits. No, no. Yep. Thanks for the call. No, I appreciate it. That was kind of like when with, with Lionel Richie, um, when when he came out, <clears throat> Lionel Richie. You didn't hear any of this. Okay, now we're going to play songs from the new album. Lionel Richie was, look, I understand this. You're here to hear the hits, and I'll play the Commodore's hits, and I'll play my own hits. We've touched a nerve with this. We're going to continue this conversation because, again, Summerfest is a treasure, and I'm not suggesting that I think it's in any sort of danger in the near future. I look at all the improvements that are being made for the infrastructure, and candidly, I mean, maybe, again, maybe the new normal is going to be attendance in this range, but... Clearly, when you have two massive drops two years in a row, it's got to be something that people discuss. All right. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Melissa, I, I guess my producer, Gru, decided that, that that was all we needed to talk about that because we had full <laughs> phone lines and he just moved on from all of those people that had been waiting to talk about this issue. <laughs> okay. Well, if you want to know who's really running the show, I guess that I'm watching this like one after another. All the calls are just disappearing. You're like, what's happening? Are all these people just (laughs) hanging up all of a sudden? No, it's my producer who just decided, well, we spent two segments talking about Summerfest. You never spend more than two segments on anything. Obviously, you were not going to continue that. So, all right. I guess I have, I now feel chastised. Let me, just a couple of things to wrap it up. Number of people on the, on the text line are saying that there's, um, again, it's just kind of the natural product of all the competitions out there. The Brewers were home for a number of games. You had a concert at Pfizer Forum. I think there is, I think there's an element of that. A number of people are saying, well, the headliners on the side stages go on too late, 10 o'clock in the evening and things like that. I I do think, and I said this a week or two ago when we did this as a segment, I... I think one of the things you have to look at, and I'm not necessarily advocating this, you've got to run the numbers, but just like 10 years ago, Summerfest made the decision to close on that Monday because it was a low attendance day and open instead that earlier Wednesday. So it runs Wednesday to Sunday, day off, and then Tuesday through the, the following Sunday. I, I think maybe you need to look at timing. Would it be better to run Summerfest for, I don't know, Three weeks, Thursday through Sunday, Thursday through Sunday, Thursday through Sunday. 
um, because again, you know, you're willing to stay out. It's easier to stay out late on a Thursday night or a Friday night than it is to stay out on a school night. And I understand that there's issues with that because you've got the ethnic festivals and all the other stuff going on. But I, I do I think Summerfest is in danger? Absolutely not. And, and maybe, like I say, I mean, they're still making profits for the vendors, maybe just not what the profits were a couple of years ago. So there's a lot of different things that are going on. I still think Summerfest is a great deal, and I don't believe it's in any sort of danger. But I, I do think you have to kind of assess when you see you know, substantial drops and you can't you can't just chalk it up to to weather is weather a factor absolutely but you know i think you know this is how you have to figure what is it going to look like for the next 50 years and candidly i think summerfest management's pretty good with that and they'll, they'll make some smart decisions jeff wagner on wtmj So, very glad to have you with us. Uh, Some other news that happened Friday afternoon. Matter of fact, this was the, if you follow me on Twitter, again, it's at JeffWagner620. It's a mix of, uh, my Twitter account is a mix of my comments on stuff. Sometimes it's it's show previews of things we're going to do. And sometimes it's stuff that happens, you know, in between the shows that I think are interesting. And sometimes it's just stuff I do. For example, there's a picture of my lovely wife and I at the ball game on, on Friday night. That's up on Twitter. But before that happened on Friday, there was the the, ver- the jury returned the verdict in the case of Jordan Fricky. He was <clears throat> he was the guy who, of course, murdered Milwaukee police officer Matthew Rittner. And I was both right and wrong on that case. I had said Thursday that in my opinion, there, there was no way this guy was going to get anywhere near the witness stand. I was just, I, I couldn't imagine that you would put him on as a witness, but the defense put him on as a witness. Okay, so I was wrong about that. I was right when I said this was just a prolonged guilty plea, and my guess is that the jury would be out about an hour in trying to decide this, and that would include the time it takes for everybody to go to the bathroom and then elect a four-person. And that's just about what happened. The jury deliberations were actually just about an hour. The jury came back and convicted Fricky of first-degree intentional homicide. And as my tweet says, kudos to the investigators, the prosecutors, and ultimately the jury. An hour was just about the proper amount of time it should have taken to return a guilty verdict against that clown. Unfortunately, it does not bring the officer back. And actually, I was mocking my producer just in the last segment for getting rid of all the calls about Summerfest. But to his credit, I like the promo that we're running. I mean, Fricky gets on the witness stand on Friday, and he's trying to justify why he's got a shotgun on the coffee table, you know, mixed with the video games and why he's got a loaded AK-47, you know, on the bedpost and why he's got all these other guns in the house. And, of course, we know that there were drugs in the house and we know he had tens of thousands of dollars in cash hidden throughout the building that was the byproduct of, you know, his illegal enterprise. And, you know, he says in response to questioning from his attorneys, well, you know, there I, I, I had these guns because, you know, there, there was crime in the area. And we've turned that into a promo, which is completely appropriate, as I said on Friday. Of course you knew there was crime in the area because you were a criminal. You were perhaps the biggest criminal in the area. So, yeah, gee, I have these guns and all to protect myself from, I don't know, other drug dealers or other gun sellers or police if they're trying to storm in the door. In any event, the the verdict came down Friday afternoon. It was the appropriate verdict. Like I say, it doesn't bring Officer Rittner back, 
but at least it, it's some small element of justice in a very, very unfortunate s- situation. And I, I was thinking, my God, this guy's got the guts to testify. Oh, I had all these guns because there was crime in the area. Not understanding the, well, use the word irony. I'd use another word, but I'm on the radio. The irony of, gee, I'm a criminal myself in this area with guns and drugs and all sorts of illegal money. I, I have to have my guns to protect myself. Because there's crime in the area. Yeah, you're a criminal. All right, so credit to everybody for returning that conviction. All right. I don't even know how to get into this, but I want to invite your reaction to President Trump's latest firestorm over the course of the last 24 hours. Let 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 me just give you the lead in. I swear to God, this guy can't get out of his own way. And... Whether he can't help himself, he makes it so difficult for people to support him. It's just mind-boggling the things that he will say and do. And I don't know that I've ever seen a politician who has the ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory as much as Donald Trump. All right, so if you haven't been following it for the last week... That the Democratic Party right now is in disarray. Now, let me walk you through this. You've got a major split between the mainstream Democrats, the center to center left Democrats, which is, I, I think, where the country is. The country's center left to center right. There are people on the far right and there are people on the far left. Okay, no question about it. But we are still, in my opinion, a, a centrist country. You have some loud voices on the left, and unfortunately, some of the country, I think, some of those loud voices are running for president. You've got the Kamala Harris's, the Elizabeth Warren's, the Bernie Sanders of the world, who are way, 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 way out there on a limb, talking about nationalized health care, you know, socialized medicine, essentially talking about socialism and let's redistribute the wealth and let's do away with private health insurance companies and all these different types of things. All this stuff that's out there that is way, way out there, open borders, all this, it's kookville. It is. But it, it's now on the it's possible that this could be part of like the, the mainstream Democratic Party. All right. So meanwhile, you've got a lot of the, the more conventional, the centrist Democrats, and, and that's that's how the Democrats got control of the House of Representatives last year. It wasn't the Alexandria Ortez Cortezes. It wasn't them of the world. It, it was it was Democrats in swing like suburban districts who were able to take seats held by Republicans by not scaring the crap out of the voters. And so you've got these centrist Democrats, you've got the far-left Democrats, and you've got this huge inter-party fight that is going on. And you've got uh, the far-left wing of the Democratic Party uh, embodied by some of these new congresswomen who are just throwing all sorts of stuff at Nancy Pelosi, and you've got centrist Democrats that are fighting back. It's just, it's a giant food fight. Is that how they described it? And that started at the debate. And it moved on. Trump is winning. Okay, all you have to do is you have to stand back and watch this thing go on. But for whatever reason, he can't help himself from getting involved. So unwilling to just kind of like let this play out, he decides yesterday to take to Twitter. 
and he sends a tweet out saying that a group of these four minority Congress women, they, they call themselves the squad, um, they should go back to the countries they came from rather than loudly and viciously telling people of the United States how to run the government. Okay, now, by using the phrase, they should go back to the countries where they came from. And one is from Somalia, naturalized citizen. The other three are all from the United States. They're all born in the United States, although they are of different you know, ethnic backgrounds. By using the phrase, they should go back to the countries they came from. All right, now we... Donald Trump has managed to unite the Democratic candidates. He's unite, managed to once again inflame the news media with stories about, oh, my gosh, this is racist. This is xenophobic. How dare you tell people who are Americans to go back to the countries where they came from? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Your reaction. I want to have an open-ended discussion. Your reaction to the president's tweets what was this i was this the act of a racist xenophobic president was it somebody with the impulse control of a fruit fly was it as i was saying you know snatching defeat from the jaws of victory should republicans be denouncing the president how big a deal was this 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line and as you can probably tell from my comments as somebody who is really scared of some of these people who are running for president not all but some of these people who are running for president and their view of america every time president trump does something like this it seems to me it makes it more likely that people are just going to be forced to vote for somebody else your reaction to what the president did, 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll get to you. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. See, it's one thing if the president wants to say, if you think America is so terrible, why don't you, you move to another country if you think it's so much better and you see nobody's leaving America. All right, that, that's one thing. It's another thing to say to Democratic Congresswomen of color that they should go back to the country where they came from. It's just, look, there's no other way to interpret this as, as being racist. It, it fans the flame of racism. It is completely unnecessary. And candidly, it's, it's, it pulls the feet from the jaws of victory. President Trump was having a good couple weeks. Why he decides to go off in this way at this time is beyond me. Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, I'm very much a Republican and uh, believe in a lot of things that he does. But, but I've gotten to the point now where if I have to listen to him for another four years, he's literally given a Democrat a new platform to run on. Yeah. You know, I mean, it drives me absolutely crazy. If I have, I'm almost afraid to vote for him again, hmm. only because I don't want to hear it anymore. It, it's you the know? chaos. I mean, you know, for for everything you say about Barack Obama, good or bad, his philosophy was okay, no drama. You know, we we don't want this. Now the president's is the opposite. The president, President Trump, is okay. Let's have chaos, and maybe he thrives in that. But <clears throat> there, there's chaos, and then there's 
let's send out these inflammatory, divisive tweets that even if you didn't intend it in that way, you got to know that it's going to play that way when you send it out. So now this is the story for the last 48 hours. It, it's, it's really, I mean, if he's going to say something stupid, at least know, know it, you're going to be factual about what country they came from. Right, yeah, because three, right, yeah, three of the four are, were born in the United States. Now, thanks, but why, why say anything at all? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the larger point. You've got this, you've got the Democrats that are shooting back and forth at each other, and people are taking on Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is responding. You've got the centrist Democrats who are now, you know, in the you know wedding match with the far left. Okay, don't you just stand by and watch this go by instead of saying, I'm going to do the one thing that's going to unite everybody they're going to stop this inter-party fighting and now they're going to concentrate on me and the lead story is going to be oh you know trump you know tweeting racist stuff i just i don't understand why he cannot control himself on this stuff diane in brookfield diane you're on wtmj well i i think this is another case of him demonstrating the lack of intelligence that he does have and um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what to say. He obviously can't keep his mouth shut. This is the highest position of our country. And I'm telling you, I am, you know, my my son cannot believe it, but here I am at 65 years old, and I am going to knock on doors to get that guy out of the office. It's just disgusting to talk about people that way. Yeah, he just feels he's above everyone and the law. Well, I don't know. So I mean, thanks, I don't know so much about uh, above the law. That's a whole. Uh, but it, it is, and and I, I understand that he he trusts his own political instincts and he doesn't take input from anybody. And I sure as heck hope that you know this the, these tweets are his work product as opposed to some sort of like calculated strategy and message. But if you're sending this stuff out, it just, it flat doesn't help. It, it plays into, I, I think that the narrative that a lot, for example, if you're a Republican, this plays into the narrative that so many people on the left have. That, oh, that, that you've got to be racist and you've got to be xenophobic and all this type of stuff. And, and where the, the truth of the matter is, that you can have legitimate policy disagreements. You can be against open borders and not be racist and not be xenophobic. That That's just the reality. Matter of fact, I think most Americans are against open borders. But when, when you... El- when you throw this element into it, what you end up doing is, is you bring this whole thing home. Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. hi. Yeah, thanks for this call, Jeff. Sure. Now, listen, I think this ought to be a wake-up call for the Republican Party because of all these elected officials that are Republicans in Washington. If they're not going to stand together and tell the president, hey, you just better shut up because this next election we're going to lose Senate seats and we're going to lose... Uh, congressional seats also, because this might be the requiem for the for the Republican Party if this guy keeps on crapping around like he's doing right now. Well, I mean that that's sure, <clears throat> Freddie. Thanks for the call. I mean, th- there's no question in my mind. I've said this before. The 2018 election was a referendum on President Trump, and it's a referendum that Republicans did not do well in. If Donald Trump wasn't as controversial, Scott Walker would still be the governor. That that's just 
the reality. But what happened was people were motivated, like our last call, second last caller, Diane. Okay, people in Dane County, you have this incredible turnout, and everybody turns out and they vote against. They want to. They want to vote against. They want to send a message to President Trump. Well, he's not on the ballot, so they send a message and they vote against anybody with an R after their name, and it's enough to cause Walker to end up losing the election. Is it possible that that could happen again? Yeah, I have been saying for the longest time that I think I think President Trump has a decent chance to win re-election if if the Democrats nominate a kook. If you nominate Elizabeth Warren, if you nominate Bernie Sanders, if you nominate Kamala Harris, if you nominate people from the far left wing of the party, you know, fill in the name. Yeah, I, I don't think that's where America is unless you have so irritated you know, mainstream America that even though they say, yeah, I'm scared about open borders and I don't support, you know, doing away with private health insurance. And I don't believe that just because people make some money in their life that they're evil. I, you know, it, it is entirely possible that you could so alienate people that that they're willing to just say, OK, we, we don't want we don't want four more years of this. Now, here's a text that represents the different attitude. Jeff, Trump is not stupid. He knows exactly what he's doing. About 35% of America absolutely loves that kind of talk, and those are the people he plays to. It has already been proven that a strong, dedicated base has enough electoral votes to win elections despite being unpopular. Okay, ask yourself a question. Does a tweet like the one he sent out yesterday make it more likely for him to win a state like Wisconsin or less likely? Does it make it more likely for him to win Michigan? Does it make it more likely for him to carry Pennsylvania or less likely? And I guess I would argue less likely. Time will tell. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, former Governor Scott Walker announcing today he will not be a candidate for anything in 2020. He says he's going to be taking up the leadership role, full-time position, running a, a conservative organization. It's called the American Foundation the Young America Foundation, it's it's sort of an outgrowth of Young Americans for Freedom, which, you know, goes back to the, the 50s and, and the 60s. Um, he says he's going to start doing that when the current foundation president or head or whatever leaves in January of 2021. He's going to take that over. But what that means is means that he's not going to be in a position to do what you need to do to run for office, which is to raise money and things of the like. I think Scott Walker is making an excellent choice. I wish him well, and I'm glad he's decided to go this route. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's just kind of tee this up. Um, again, Walker saying he's taking himself out of the running. He's going to, this foundation is based at Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia. He's going to live there. He's also going to maintain a house here. But that's what he's going to do instead of pursuing elective office, at least in 2022. Are you glad? that the governor or former governor has made that decision. 414-799-1620. I am. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why for a couple different reasons. First of all, I, I've known Scott Walker since the mid-1990s. I think, I, I think he's a great guy with a, a lot of, lot of great ideas. The thing is, I think for the last several months, he's kind of been like a fish out, out of water. 
because he's so used to, you know, politics and running for office and what's the next election going to be and all these different types of things that suddenly being out of power, you know, not being an elected official, I think he's been trying to kind of struggle to feel his way and do I need to do this to keep my name in the public and, and you know, what am I going to do? Should I be raising money, et cetera, et cetera. I think taking a step back and, and nobody's saying, Scott Walker's a young guy, nobody's saying that, Okay, six years from now or eight years from now, he might decide that he wants to make a reentry in politics. He's not closing the door to that, but he's saying right now, this is what I end up wanting to do. And I candidly, I think it's good for him. I think it will be good for him as opposed to spending the next two or three years trying to run sort of a shadow government. You know, the governor, the once and then perhaps future governor, you know, kind of running a shadow government, planning a campaign against Tony Evers. I I don't think that tends to be good. Secondly, and, and here's the other factor. I mean, I'm a huge supporter of Scott Walker, but he is controversial. He is a lightning rod and maybe. Just maybe over the course of the next couple of years, it's time to you know open the door and see what that new leadership of the Wisconsin Republican Party is going to be. And then let's also be honest. I don't know what they're paying him, but the guy that is in the position now makes a lot of money. And the truth of the matter is, you know, Governor Walker's always done well on the public payroll and stuff, but he hasn't made lots and lots of money. I think from a family perspective, if you have a chance to, you know, do a job that's something that you're going to enjoy and they're going to pay you well for it, I don't think there's anything wrong with this either. 414-799-1620. I think on many, many levels for him personally, and maybe at least in the short term for the state, I, I think it's I think it's good that Governor Walker is stepping aside, at least for the moment. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark on the northwest side. Hi, Mark. That's Mike. Oh, Mike. I'm sorry. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, how you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you uh, think? I, I think that it's a wise choice for Walker. Uh, I think his name's been, uh, he's been a great governor, but I think his name's kind of worn out in Wisconsin, and it's time for you know him to kind of go another road and get some fresh blood in here, and I think... If it could be ran again, I don't know if he'd win again. Well, I mean, he's he's very very controversial, and I I I think a lot of the stuff that he did is going to you know be looked at in retrospect as being really really positive things. But he's he's very very controversial. At least right now, he he's got a, he's got a ceiling. He's never going to be able to get more than fifty one fifty two percent of the vote. Maybe maybe it is time for for some new blood. Even if that new blood wants to, you know, endorse and adopt a lot of part of the part of the agenda. And, I, and as I was saying, Mike, I think it's probably good for him to take a step back, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, it's just sometime, you know, and, you know, you saw this, you saw with Russ Feingold. He might be the best example. Okay, Feingold loses to Ron Johnson. And then Feingold spends the next six years of his life essentially planning how he's going to win that seat back. And, you know, everything, in my opinion, a lot of the stuff that he ended up doing was designed that, hey, I, 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 it, I lost. It was a freak sort of thing. Ron Johnson, he doesn't hold a candle to me. I should beat him. So you spend six years of your life. You know, assuming that, you know, you're going to get back the seat that you've had for years and was wrongfully taken from you. And what happens? It doesn't work out. I mean, I think that there was a potential for for Scott to run into that. 
maybe there was perhaps sort of a Walker fatigue sort of factor, you know, going on. So, I mean, I think, again, and this isn't a knock on a guy who I consider to be a brilliant politician who actually I think may have a continue to have a, a great future in politics if he wants it. But you know what else? Maybe after, you know, a couple decades in public life and in public office, you know, as an elected official, maybe he finds that there's this whole other world that's out there that, you know, you, you don't need to go back to. 414-799-1620, Troy in Sturgeon Bay. Hi, Troy. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, uh, sir. I really ag- agree with your first caller about needing some new blood. For me, it's real simple. Uh, school teacher, and he was so controversial that it was, uh, you know, I think he put a damper in our, our public education system, uh, mm-hmm. not only now, but for some years to come. Um, so I, I, that, that's the big one for me. I'm so glad he's out of here, and I hope I never have to see his name on a ballot again for anything. Yeah, um, well, I, I guess, you know, and again, I don't know. I, the other interesting thing to me, Troy, is is who, you know, who who's going to emerge? You know, who's going to be the new, younger or newer yep. face of, of leadership in the Republican Party, and, and what's the direction it's going to take? But, you know, you need new blood. I mean, that that's just the reality. You, you need it, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, and that's not all bad. No, no. I also think that we haven't heard the end of this Foxconn deal that he had that could, could yeah, be blow. disastrous for us. Um, just a little bit I've been hearing about it. So I just think it's time for new blood, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, I, I wish him uh, the best. Is, uh, is <laughs> you, all his. I'm not going to wish him any luck because he doesn't need it. But I, yeah, I think you know where I'm coming from. Got I'm frustrated with the guy. Absolutely. No, I get it. I mean, thanks. And, and the truth is, Troy. Again, to your point, what was happening was. You know, you were never going to vote for a guy like Scott Walker. Now, I don't know if Troy would ever consider voting for any Republican, but you you weren't going to vote for Scott Walker because of all the stuff with Act 10. I mean, see, here's here's the thing. You go through, in Wisconsin, going back 10 years ago or so, I mean, you had this incredible Republican energy. You you had an up-and-coming Paul Ryan, you know, the how, on the verge of becoming, like, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. You know, you had Scott Walker, who, you know, was, you know, after Milwaukee County Executive, he was going to come the governor with, you know, his brand of conservatism. Now, you, you may or may not agree with Act 10 and some of the other stuff, but it, but it doesn't matter. You know, you had Wisconsin as sort of being the incubator of conservative ideals. And, you know, a lot of that got done. It, it did. But inevitably what happens is is politics is cyclical. And there's some people who still don't understand that. But that's that's the reality. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, I've heard, oh, okay, um, you, you had you know Bill Clinton that, that goes to re- rolls to re-election in 1996. This is the end of the Republican Party. Well, no, it wasn't the end of the Republican Party. Or, you know, you, you hear this all the time. Politics is cyclical. People come in. They have great ideas. They have, try to advance their agenda. And then inevitably, you know, stuff changes. And you have to be able to adapt. Let's look at the situation of former Governor Tommy Thompson, who I consider to be a brilliant politician. If you can remember the years when Tommy was the governor in in you know the the ninety the eighties and the nineties, what you had was I mean again he was on the cutting edge of conservatism, not conservatism like Scott Walker was, but you know he was talking about welfare reform and he was incredibly successful. I mean my gosh, Tommy Thompson was winning Milwaukee County when he was running for office, all those different types of things, and then. 
all right, you, you had this incredible burst of energy, and he was great for, what, 14 years or something. And then I, I think he kind of started running out of steam, moved over to the Bush administration, tried to make a comeback a number of years later in the loss to Tammy Baldwin. That was probably on a lot of levels. It was ill-considered. You know, maybe Governor uh, Thompson would have been better off just saying, okay, I, I think maybe I should stay put in the private sector. I, I don't know. Maybe Walker will run for something sometime in the future. Maybe he'll just enjoy doing what he's doing and making some money and and trying to affect and advance agendas from a non-elected office position. But again, I I wish him well. I think it's a I think it's a good move for him. I give him credit for getting out of the way early, saying, "Okay, look, if you're out there raising money or you if you you're the next guy, Drew, you want to be the Republican candidate for governor and you're out there trying to raise money and you have people that are standing on the sidelines saying, well, you know, we want to see where Scott Walker is before we agree to write Drew a check. Okay, well, now he's saying, "Okay, don't don't send me the money anymore." Plus it it makes it it makes it easier for Scott Walker to kind of like move on and so you know if you want to do talk radio for the next year well okay fine do talk radio for the next year and if you want to you know take take trips you know with travel agencies fine now now people i, I don't think can criticize it as much as perhaps they would have in the past I, I think it's a good move all along and i certainly wish the former governor and his wife tanette the very very best um no question about it but i think it's good all around this is jeff wagner Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Tomorrow, there is an election. Now, you would think, who in their right mind would have an election on a Tuesday in July when it's going to be 90 degrees, what are you going to have, about like 30 people that might vote? And 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 if you were to say that, that would be a legitimate question. But there is. There is a primary election uh, tomorrow in Milwaukee. It's District 13. Um, this is Terry Witkowski was the, was the alder per- person for this district forever. He resigned kind of suddenly in May. And so now they're going to have a special election. This will this is the primary. It'll narrow it down to two candidates, and then they're going to have a general election on August thirteenth, which will elect somebody to fill out Witkowski's term. So, I mean, if there's anything dumber than having a primary election, you know, in July, it might be having you know a, a general election uh, in in August. But that's the way this is all going to play out. Interestingly enough. And, and this is the, the fact that I think is so, so I guess, worth talking about. There are a large number of people there, that are ending up running for this seat. There's just a ton of candidates. Is there like 13 or something like that? An enormous – okay, there's seven candidates in the race. Um, what's going on is Chris Abley, the county executive, who wants to play in area politics, but interestingly – Chris Abley is the county executive. This isn't his effort to try to influence a county supervisor seat, which you could almost understand. You're this rich guy. You've got this political action committee that you're funding. So, you know, you want to try to elect supervisors who are going to go along with your agenda. I I get that. This is an aldermanic seat. And Abley's group 
has spent more than $32,000 helping one of the candidates, Patricia Torres Najera, I think is how you pronounce it, in the seven-way contest. Thirty-two grand. Now, to give you an idea, this is more than twice the combined amount spent by all seven candidates in the race. So Abley is trying to influence this election in a big way. And a lot of people are saying, well, what's going on here? Because, again, it's not... It's not a county supervisor seat, but it's Chris Abley, I mean, trying to, you know, build his, his fiefdom. It's generating a lot of concern in the area from a lot of the people who, like, live in the area and a lot of the candidates who've represented the area. One of the candidates is a guy named Spike, Scott Spiker, who was an aide for Witkowski. Another one of the candidates who's running is a, um, the, the gal who was the former aide to Alderman Bob Donovan. But these are all people who live, Patty Doherty, she's, um, <clears throat> these are all people who've, like, actually lived in the district and who were kind of doing it the old-fashioned way. And here you have Chris Abley coming in and spending a lot of money. I, I will be curious to see how all this plays out because while you always like to have money behind you, I, I guess you do wonder, especially in a really, really low turnout primary. I mean, it's going to be motivated voters. The people that are going to go out and vote tomorrow aren't going to vote because, you know, somebody you know spent thousands of dollars to stick a glossy flyer in their door. The people that are going to go out to vote tomorrow in the primary election and the general election in August are people who are, you know, really dedicated, care very much about their community, and, you know, I think in large part have a vested interest in, you know, whichever candidate it is that they're supporting. And those are people that money cannot buy. Now, I take no position on who should win this election. I just, I don't know enough about the individual candidates. I just do think it's interesting when you have the uber-wealthy county executive who threw this organizing group, you know, he controls, has decided that they want to play in city politics in this fashion, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a backlash to it. But we'll know after the primary election tomorrow. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. Maybe the answer is just to stop driving in certain parts of the city. I, I don't I don't know what else to say about this story that happened over the weekend involving the three-year-old girl who died following a road rage incident. For the last couple of years on this program, I, I admit, sounding a bit like a broken record, as day after day, week after week, we've had one story after another about irresponsible, reckless driving. Guy running, some teenager in a stolen car, runs through a red light, hits and kills somebody in an intersection. Guy driving a stolen car, passing in the bike lane, hits and kills a pedestrian. You name it, we have had it on just a regular basis. I I kind of jokingly say, if you wonder why you, you hear so much lawyer advertising, you know, so many ads for, hey, if you're involved in a traffic accident or whatever, it's because... There's just a ton of traffic accidents around here, and some end up deadly. And others end up, if not deadly, they end up where people are significantly and seriously injured. There's people out there that just do not care. And and we've, 
you know, we, we've had all the education we want, and we've got all these different community groups, and every time there's one of these stories, the mayor appropriately, who is outraged by this, and the police department that's outraged by this, they come in out and denounce, uh, again, the reckless driving or, or whatever, but yet it goes on. And here you have the latest example. If you haven't been following the story, Saturday morning, 8.35 in the morning. This isn't 2 in the morning. This isn't 10 at night. This is 8.35 on a Saturday morning. Now sit there and think for a minute, you know, what you were doing at 8.35 Saturday morning. Think about it. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you were still getting up. But my guess is for a lot of people, you were out there running errands like most of us do on Saturday morning. You know, maybe, you know, going out and getting the dry cleaning and going to the grocery store or taking the kids to the baseball games or or whatever. I mean, this is you're out there with your families. 835 in the morning around 42nd and Concordia. Two vehicles almost collide. Okay, happens all the time. Happened to me driving into work this morning. I think there was a car that was speeding. The car that was speeding probably had the right of way. Um, but I, I hit the brakes to avoid us having a, a collision. They were going too fast, but probably I think they had the right of way. But that's okay. We missed each other. No, no problem. It was a near miss. But, you know, did I see that the car that was speeding, did I get upset with that? Did I kind of pull up and follow him and make obscene gestures and wave a gun at him? No. Because I have the impulse control that exceeds that of a fruit fly. Well, what happens is Saturday morning, 835, two people, two vehicles almost collide. The driver of the vehicle with these kids, there's a person driving and there's a, a number of kids that are in the car. Okay, that driver drives away from the scene. Okay, somebody inside the other vehicle in this near miss begins following them and starts shooting into the rear of the vehicle. So they're following. Okay, it's almost this collision. Okay, fine. The one car drives off. There's a woman, I think, that's driving with kids in the car. And the person who got cut off or whatever, they've got a gun. And somebody in that car now starts shooting at the rear of the car. Well, one of the multiple shots hits a three-year-old girl who's inside the car, hits and kills the three-year-old girl. So you have some idiot who, worst-case scenario, worst-case scenario, gets cut off. All right, hey, I got cut off. So their reaction to that is to drive after the car that cut them off, pull out a gun, and start shooting at it from behind. And yes, they hit somebody. In this case, they hit a, a three-year-old girl. Not long after the shots were fired, the police spot the vehicle that they think was involved in the shooting. Officers tried to get behind the vehicle. Then the vehicle tries to flee. Driver loses control. Cash, cash crashes near 26th and Walnut. And then, you know, starts to run away. Police end up, uh, after a lengthy search, find the guy that was responsible for this. They catch him. He's now waiting for criminal charges, and there will be lengthy criminal charges. But but here you have the simple act of, gee, somebody pulled out in front of me or cut me off or whatever. My reaction is going to be to pull out a gun and shoot. Okay, well, I guess there's a lot of ways to approach this. First of all, this isn't a police matter. It, it's just not. There, there's no Police are reactive at the end of the day, not proactive. You can't have a police officer following every idiot 
that's driving around on the road. You, you just can't. Okay, some people will say, well, this is an example of too many guns. Well, okay, can I see a show of hands? If you are a gun owner, right, would it occur to you if somebody cuts you off, would you raise your hand if you think your first response would be to pull out your gun and start shooting at the rear of that person's that cut you off their car? Can I see a show of hands? All right, I'm looking out over radio land. There's no hands that are going up. So, it, I mean, some people will try to write it off as, as, as you know, a gun issue. It, it's not a gun issue. What it is is you have some lunatic with the impulse control of a fruit fly who's riding around armed, whose reaction is, gee, I've been cut off, so I'm going to shoot, and now you have a three-year-old girl that's dead. The problem, aside from this incident, the larger problem is this could happen anytime, any day, pretty much anywhere in the city of Milwaukee, and... And you just don't know what's going to set some of these people off. Because this is just not a normal reaction. It's just not. And you can talk about, oh, we need to be more understanding. And I I was listening to somebody today say, well, you know, maybe this is an example of people who have, you know, no hope who are acting out in this fashion and don't understand consequences. No, it's bad people with no impulse control, who have no regard for human life, period. I mean, that's that's it. And you can have all the midnight basketball programs you want. It's, it's not going to teach somebody that you don't take a gun and shoot at the window or wherever of a car that you think has cut you off. So I, I don't know the larger social issues about how you convince people that th- this type of antisocial behavior is not good. But I, I do know that at least in the short term, you you got to wonder about you know how how safe is it out there on the roads. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six two zero. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let, let's have an honest conversation about this. Given whether it's road rage and three year old kids being shot at eight thirty in the morning because somebody didn't like the way that the the person driving the car drove, or whether it's people driving eighty five miles an hour and blowing through intersections. I mean, are you rethinking travel options when it comes to the Milwaukee area to the point that, you know, no way would you drive in certain certain areas at I would say at certain times of the day, but this is like any time of the day. This is 8.35 in the morning. Who thinks somebody's going to pull out a gun and start shooting at 8.35 in the morning? And yet it happened. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It's just, it's, it is, I mean, it's beyond frustrating. And, you know, I, the, the police are frustrated with it. I think good citizens of a community are frustrated with it. But nobody can do anything about it. And whether it's the, the reckless, irresponsible driving, and it's it's just the, the crazy road rage. In this case, it led to the death of a three-year-old girl on Saturday morning at 8.30 when somebody upset that they were cut off, presumably, decides that the way to deal with that is to pull out a handgun and start shooting indiscriminately at the back of a car full of kids. 414-799-1620. Mike in Wauwatosa. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, uh, you know, it's an impossible task for the police to really monitor any thoroughfare in every street corner 
um, you know, in the city. And I think one of the things that probably requires the attention of lawmakers is stiffer penalties for people who commit acts of violence in those types of situations, whether it be uh, vehicular homicide or even homicide or shooting with a gun. Yeah, at the same time, though, Mike, my guess is they've caught the person that did it. If he's convicted, and I think it's a he, if he is convicted, he, you know, he's going to go to prison for a long, long period of time. I, but I, I don't know that – so I'm not sure it's a law thing. I, I'm just – that the penalties don't appear to deter people from doing this. Well, perhaps a mandatory life sentence for mm. the murder or the life of any mm. child or adolescent um, below the age of 18 may become a greater deterrent regardless of the intent or the particular yeah. situations. I mean, you take a gun out and start shooting into a car right. and kill a three-year-old, you should serve a life term sentence. Yeah, no, no, regardless thanks. Regardless of whether or not... Right, and I don't, and don't get me wrong. I mean, thanks. I see. I don't disagree with anything you said, and and I, I when they convict, when they convict the guy that did this, assuming they have the right guy, and my guess is under the circumstances they do, you know, he he will go to prison for most of, if not all, of his natural life. Now that again, just like convicting the the idiot who who you know, was who shot Officer Rittner. Unfortunately, it doesn't bring Officer Rittner back. And convicting this person who pulled out the gun and, and shot into this car, it, it doesn't bring the three-year-old girl back. And I guess that's that's the frustration. So in the interim, as long as you have, as long as you have people that are out there on the streets who, who do not care about the consequences of their act, I guess the question becomes, what can the rest of us do? Because let, let, let's face it, you know, maybe there was that day that you were driving and you inadvertently, you cut off some other car, you know, or, you know, they were driving fast and, you know, you pulled up on their bumper or they pulled up on your bumper and you decided to slow down to get them to back off. You know, nowadays they can pull out a gun and shoot at you. Does this mean that, you know, maybe all we can do is decide maybe there's just some areas that we don't want to be driving in, whether it's at 830 at night or 830 in the morning? Let's talk to Brian in Caledonia. Hi, Brian. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I own a construction company. I do a lot of traveling outside. I'm Milwaukee, everywhere. Um, it doesn't seem like anything is being done because if the police would just start a task force just for driving, I think it'd pay for itself because these people just don't care. Mm-hmm. And if they were just concentrating on driving, I guarantee it would pay too full for itself for the fact that they just don't give a thing. And you're right. If you try to tap your brakes, you can't do it no more. You're totally petrified because it's I had a gentleman tell me that he was going to hit me and not think twice about it and just drive off. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Well, the guy's probably, uh, you know, got no insurance on the car anyway. So, you know, what what difference does it make? I mean, half the time it's not even their car. Right. Yeah, exactly. See, the I, and Brian, and I don't disagree with what you're saying either. The And, you know, blanket reckless driving task forces and things like that. I'm, by the way, all in favor of it. I, I am. But my concern with that is... It's more than just a cop matter because part of the problem is we don't we have a court system that doesn't take this stuff seriously either. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, yes. If, if you if you've got the kid 
who's you know driving could be caught for the fifth or sixth or seventh time in the stolen car and they run through a red light and they hit and kill somebody yeah in that case maybe they'll intervene but nowadays i mean you can get caught you can steal if you're 16 years old you go out and steal cars with impunity they're not even going to try to wave you out of juvenile court and the juveniles aren't juvenile judges aren't going to do anything to you they're going to tell you don't do it again and they're going to send you back into the same environment that you've been stealing cars so it's it's just it's a frustrating thing and i'm not sure i don't know how law enforcement works its way out of it because you know the court system doesn't care it seems right i thought that if they were to hire just strictly for the driving task force that they could hire more police just for that because it would truly pay for itself in no time at all because there's so many people driving reckless oh oh yeah no thank and and again this is one where i i say this repeatedly i think the i i and you see this on various issues I think the judges and the prosecutors, as a general rule, are way behind where the general public is on this particular matter. And the general public is sick to heck of people driving in a dangerous fashion and people stealing cars and you know driving through the bike lanes. And now obviously this is an extreme example. And like I say, when they catch this person you know, there, there's, there's, you know, there's going to be severe consequences. But what do you want to bet that when the district attorney's office issues charges, it's going to turn out that this person has has a lengthy record? I mean, I again, I, I always have to couch this. It might be, it might be that you know, Saturday morning was the first time that the person in this car woke up. You know, put the took a gun, stuck it in his car, and said, "Okay, today's the day that uh, if I get hacked off because somebody cuts me off at eight thirty in the morning, I'm going to start shooting in the rear of this car." Now, it might be that that was just it. Saturday morning was was the day that person started. My guess is, once we see the criminal record of the persons involved, you're going to see a number of characteristics. Um, did they even have a driver's license, um, or at least a valid driver's license? You know, was there a concealed carry permit? My guess is no. Was the person going to be legally able to own a firearm? Uh, my guess is no. Was there going to be other criminal behavior? A- absolutely. And my guess, and again, it's just a guess, could be wrong, but 85% of the time when you see stories like this, you go back to the question of why was this person on the street in the first place but the the larger issue that faces a number of us is you know what do you do in in the interim and you know how do law-abiding citizens deal with this and i I mean look i understand if you live in neighborhoods like this you got no choice you know you got to go to you got to use your car to drive to work you've got to go to the grocery store and things like that but in the interim you know, for other people who have choices to make, the question is, do you avoid some of these areas entirely? Now, that's no guarantee that there's safety because road rage happens all over. It just happens more in certain parts of our community than others. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Imagine a country without really rich people. I mean, the, the super wealthy. Just, just imagine that that country and ask yourself a question. Would we be better off if that were the case? Where where all the, those evil, really wealthy people, they just they just moved somewhere else. So we didn't have to be envious of them. We didn't have to put up with all their jets 
flying around and all the money they're spending on things. Would we be better off without that? Now, I, that's a serious question because that, I think, if you have somebody like, for example, Elizabeth Warren, who gets elected, I think that's what you are going to be looking at. Let me explain. You have a number of people who are running for president who have, have, have these ideas of, of just spending enormous amounts of public money. Um, it, it, whether it's we're going to do away with all college debt. Anybody out there who's got a college loan that's outstanding, we're going to pay it off. Oh, don't worry about it. We're going to pay it off. And or we're um, anybody who wants reparations, who think you might qualify, we're, we're going to give you money. We're, we're going to give you that. Or we're going to have socialized medicine. Well, so what we're going to do is, even though we understand it's going to cost trillions and trillions of dollars, we're, we're just going to wave our hands and we're going to have that. And, and typically, when somebody, and you don't get too many reporters that are pushing on this, but when somebody you know, raises their hand and says, well, excuse me, how, how are we going to pay for this? The, the typical response is, oh, we're going to take it from the wealthy. We're, we're going to go after the, the rich because they, they don't need it and they don't deserve it and they're not entitled to as much as they have. For example, uh, Elizabeth Warren, what she says is that she wants to start imposing a wealth tax on people. Now, let me explain. In this country, we tax income. You know, you, you work at your job, you get a salary, presumably, or you get, you get your wages. And what happens is money is withheld for taxes. And at the end of the year, you do your taxes and sometimes you get money back and sometimes you have to pay. But you know, you're paying on the basis of your income, right? Now, let's say during the course of the year, let's say you're retired and you're withdrawing money from a 401k account or whatever. You take that money out of the 401k account, assuming it's not tax protected like a Roth. And let, let's say you take a hundred thousand. You've got, you've got a couple, you've got several hundred thousand dollars in your, your savings account. You saved over the course of your lifetime. You take $50,000 out in a year. Okay, you pay taxes on that $50,000. And if you've got a bank account that pays you interest, you pay, you know, tax on that interest. You pay a tax on your income, all right? You don't in this country pay a tax on your wealth. That is the stuff that you have. And the general line of thinking is because the stuff you have acquired, right, you have acquired that with money that has already been taxed. For example, let's say for the sake of argument, you, you buy a, a vacation house in Florida and you cash out your retirement. You, you, you take $250,000 out of your retirement account and you pay it off in cash. You buy it for 250000 You took, you paid taxes on that $250,000 that you took out of your retirement account. Follow me? And you used it to buy the property, right? Okay, we don't then tax the property a second time because the money that you use to buy the property has all you've already paid taxes on it. See, it's just you know, it's you took the money, you took it out, you paid the taxes, you bought the property. It, it sounds simple, but you know, it, if you think about it, it makes sense. Now, if you sell that property and you make a lot of money on it, you might have to pay taxes on that. But we don't tax wealth. We don't tax the assets that you have purchased with money that you have already paid taxes on. It's just the way the country works. Well, Elizabeth Warren doesn't like that. 
and what she wants to pay for some of her ideas, like doing away with student loan debt, is she wants to put a 2% levy on anybody that has assets of more than $50 million. Now, now follow the way this would work is, so let's say you are you are wealthy. You have $50 million. I'm never going to have $50 million in assets. But the idea would be, in addition to paying income tax on the stuff that you've, you know, you've earned and you, your, your earned income, if you have $50 million worth of stuff, and by stuff we mean houses, we mean cars, we mean land, we mean artwork, we mean TV sets – Fifty. If you got fifty million dollars worth of stuff, what she thinks is, in addition to paying tax on your income, you should also get taxed two percent on all all the assets above fifty million for uh, again the the general good. Okay, for we we don't do that in this country. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I want you to think this through, and I know it's eighty eight degrees and it's a Monday, but does this sound like a good idea? Because on the one hand, it, it's got this appeal where you're saying, "Oh, if, if somebody's got fifty million dollars worth of stuff, my God, you know they they you know what difference does it make whether you know they pay taxes on the th- all the money they use to buy that stuff? They 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 should be paying more." So let's f- go in every year and let's figure out how much everybody's stuff is worth. And then if it comes out over this particular number, let's let's tax them on it. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a good idea? Or more practically, if you try to do something like this, going after the wealthy, and saying, okay, we're going to tax your at, we're going to tax the value of your assets. What do you think the real world effect is going to be? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is is this the fair thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? It's clearly double taxation, but I don't know. If you've got fifty million dollars or more, or heck, why why limit it to fifty? If you got you've got ten million dollars or more. Should you have to pay taxes on your wealth? This would hit somebody like a Chris Abley really, really hard. But is that good? And is that good for the country? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Patrick from Fond du Lac text. This is a horrible idea. What stops them from going to 10 million, 5 million? People are already taxed once, and I'm not a fan of this whole double and triple taxing people. Well, that's, that's what a, a, that's what it would do. Um, Dan writes, uh, Bill Gates, Soros, Buffett, they'd all have to sell a ton of stock. It would crater the market. 414-799-1620. Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Scott. Hi. Hey, listen, you know, as far as sticking it to somebody, why not? But at the same time, if I'm looking at myself, I would hate for somebody to tell me I'd have to give up any percentage of my assets that I've accumulated over time that I've earned. And that you paid for with money after tax, you know? 
Yeah. Okay. You right. You you take ten thousand dollars out of your savings account and you use right. it to buy a car. Well, okay. You paid the tax already on that money, that ten grand. Now you're going to have to pay. You know, the value of the car as part of your tax. It doesn't seem fair, does it? It, it doesn't even come close to fair. I mean, tear up my driveway because you have to fix my gas line and then charge me extra to fix my driveway too <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think that's it no thanks for calling i think that that's a good analogy here's the other bigger problem and by the way and nobody has the guts to say this to elizabeth warren but there were some european countries that that tried to do this and largely they, they've bailed on it and because they found it number one it was almost impossible to do because you know how how do you go in on a yearly basis and fairly assess the value of, well, you've got fancy paintings. You know, okay, we're, you know, we're going to assess, I mean, look, look at, look at what goes on in trying to determine what fair value is for your property taxes. Can you imagine if you had an assessor that was going to walk through your house and say, okay, well, I think the house is worth this much. Um, you own the house. I think those pictures on the wall are worth that much. Oh, you've got that big screen Sony television. Okay. Well, that's worth that much and add it all up. So can you imagine the different fights that are going to emerge on that? But here's the other big problem that people don't think of. And it's why I started off by saying, imagine a country where all the wealthy people leave. One of the things we know about people that have wealth is they have a lot of different options. Nobody says you have to live in the United States. And I guarantee you, if you get to a point where you're implementing wealth taxes and you're saying on a yearly basis, I want I want two percent of of your assets in addition to your income. Well, what's the easiest thing to do? You say, you know, I really like this place in Palm Beach that I've got. I really like this place in Palm Beach. But you know what? I like the south of France a lot, too. And the south of France isn't taxing my my wealth. They're just they're just not. Now I might have to pay some more for some things, but th- this is the point. I mean, what you would see, or or Belize. I hear Belize is nice this time of year. I mean, if you want to talk about something that would lead to an enormous flight of wealth, you do something like this. Now again, it might make some people feel good. But the reaction is going to be the people who who have the money, who have the choices, you know, they're, and, and, it's, and this is just how life plays out on, on many different levels. I mean, whether it's a wealth tax or whether it's, I know, high property taxes or, you know, what, what, okay, you know, you live in the city of Milwaukee. You don't like the taxes. You don't like the crime problems. You don't like the educational system. Well, if you can afford to move, what do people do? They move. All right. Now, if you can't afford to move, you're kind of trapped in that. But you implement a wealth tax. Trust me, the wealthy can afford to move and they will. And is our community really better off if a lot of these people who are the ones that are driving the philanthropical things, driving the charity stuff, running companies that are employing tons of people? Are we really better if because we thought, well, they just have too much, so we want to take it from them? Let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Well, that, that was kind of the point, Jeff. I did. That was kind of the, the, the point that I was going to make. New York tried this. They raised the taxes on the wealthy, and then they're whining about, well, all the wealthy people moved to Florida. And, I mean, this is what, you know, 
stifled our recovery during the Obama years is because he was taxing all the corporations, and you know we had all the story. Well, yeah, they're going to Ireland, right? Yeah, well, Johnson Controls. Yeah, jo- I mean, yeah. look, Johnson. What a, I forget the term that they use for that, but yeah, I mean, Johnson yeah. Controls decides, hey, we can get huge tax breaks by moving our corporate headquarters from Glendale, Wisconsin, to Ireland, and they do. Now, is can you are is Glendale is Wisconsin better? Is this country better because Johnson Controls is not headquartered here? Nobody would argue that it is. Well, exactly, and like I said, as you were the, the excellent point you were making, they can afford to move. You know. They have the money. That's the you know that's what you're going after. But they can take they can take their ball and go home. They, they and, and they do. I mean, you you will. Do you think? Do you think that there is a reason why you have lots and lots of, for example, people from Wisconsin who decide that you know when, once they're at a point where they can move retirement or whatever, they decide to relocate to Florida or relocate to North Carolina or relocate to Tennessee or relocate to some of these other. Um, more tax-friendly places. Well, yeah, yeah. Part of it's the weather. I get it. But part of it's, hey, your dollar goes farther. Tax policy implements, and it does affect where people live. And once you get to that point where you're really wealthy, it, it has an even bigger impact on that. Well, not only the taxes. I mean, you just take your local example there in Milwaukee. When you all of a sudden you don't have to live in Milwaukee to work for Milwaukee. You know, and they're going like, good, I'm yeah. going to Waukesha. I'm going out to New Berlin, Oconomowoc, you know, where my property taxes are lower, right. crime is lower, the schools are better. See ya. Right. No, you're, you're, no, thank, you're right. That, and that's, and, and this is, of course, that, that's, that's on a, a level that, you know, all of us might be able to understand. And look, I, I get it. Like I said, I'm, I'm never going to have $50 million in, in assets. So this isn't going to affect me. Although, I mean, honestly, you know, you you know, under you know, once this gets in, how soon is it before it goes from Elizabeth Warren's fifty million to well, this kind of worked? I know. Let's lower it to twenty million, or let's lower it to ten million, or let's lower it to five million. And and actually, in Wisconsin, where you have um, still lots of people who 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 agriculture, you know, and you've got you know values of land and stuff. Well, I mean, okay, I can. I can easily envision lots of people, for example, on, on farms and family farms where the value of the land is arguably worth millions and millions of dollars. You're not pulling, you're not pulling income out of that, you know, um, but, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to start taxing wealth and then making people sell off their stocks or sell off? It's just, bottom line is, it's a bad idea. And I think it is at the, at its heart, it is fundamentally un-American. Instead of, trying to figure out ways to, all right, let's soak this group of people or that group of people or playing the class envy card, you know, that kind of us versus them, maybe the overall answer is maybe we should be spending less in the first place. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, that didn't take long. This is, you knew this was going to happen, and it's one of the reasons that so many of us are just frustrated when President Trump pulls out his telephone and sends out the, these tweets. When when you have a Democratic candidate who comes out and says something that I, I think is very controversial and, well, may, maybe dumb, 
whether it's the let's forgive student loans or let's open up our borders or let's do away with the private insurance system. You, you don't have reporters that then run to Tony Evers and say, hey, you know, Bernie Sanders was in town. He says he wants open borders and he wants to forgive student loans and he wants to you know, do the Medicare for all. They, they don't go and stick a microphone in front of Tony Evers' face and say, hey, what did you think about Bernie Sanders' proposal? They, they, they don't do that. It's it's the different thing with its Republicans. And unfortunately, President Trump plays in this. Now, we talked about in the 12 o'clock hour of the program, President Trump's generating all this controversy for sending out a tweet yesterday saying that uh, various Democratic congressmen, all of whom have ethnic backgrounds, they should all go back to the crime infested places from which they came. Of course, now three of the four were born in America, the other one's from Somalia, but they're all U.S. citizens. And, and this has generated this huge firestorm, and we talked about it. People are saying this is racist and xenophobic. And and now, inevitably, and for example, the, the Journal Sentinel did what I guess many media outlets are doing. Their first reaction to this is, okay, unlike when Democrats say dumb things to confront Tony Evers, now it's, okay, we've got to find every Republican elected official. We've got to stick a, we're going to call them up and ask them for comments. And so <clears throat> Ron Johnson being asked for comments, um, all the congressmen being asked for, what do you think about this? Everybody's being confronted, leaders in the state assembly and the state Senate being asked for this. And the story is um, Wisconsin Republicans mostly quiet about President Trump's use of a racist trope. You know, but again, it's, it's, this is the thing, and this is what happens and I understand some people say, well, President Trump is appealing to his base and, you know, and his base doesn't care about this type of stuff. Well, it's more than just about the president's base. And I have no problem with him appealing to his base. But you can do that. You can appeal to the base without starting these firestorms that have this spillover. And I look, I, I get it. You've got a liberal mainstream media. You've got people that want to play gotcha. But this just plays into their hands. And I don't fault the people at the Journal Sentinel. You knew this is what they were going to do. All right, let's contact Ron Johnson. Let's contact um, Scott Fitzgerald. Let's contact Robin Voss. Let's contract all the, contact all the congressmen. And, you know, we'll see what they say. And if they don't denounce Donald Trump, you know, we're going to write that up. It's, it's just Trump plays into this. It's more than just about him and his base. Huh. Two thirty-two. I don't know what else to say. Just huh. you know, just <laughs> there are no huh. words, right? It's just huh. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. A couple weeks ago, there's a story in the Journal Sentinel. What one of their columnists, Jim Stingle, had done, a, done an interview with a, a woman who was one of these self-described advocates for for the homeless, and she was talking about the. If you've been to downtown Milwaukee recently, the 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 tent village that has kind of sprung up under the, the freeway overpass on like I seven ninety four in downtown. Milwaukee. Um, you know, you can see them come from by Third Street and St. Paul, or from Clybourne west of Sixth Street or the train station. There's there's all these tents. It's kind of now they describe it sort of as a city within a, a city. And I, I'd known it had been there, and then it had it essentially been cleared out, and, and now it's it's back again. And when we went down, when we were working, when I was broadcasting from Summerfest, I made a point one day of kind of like driving through the, the area and. 
and I mean, I don't know how many they have. Is it is it 30? Is it 40? Is it 50? I, I don't know. And my guess is it varies. But what you have is that you have people who are living under the freeway overpass and they're they're being supplied with stuff by, you know, various various groups in Milwaukee um, that, that are intended to help the homeless, tents and supplies and food and clothing. And it, it's designed to enable people to live in these these areas. And, of course, a number of people have concerns about crime and drug abuse and trash and rats and all the other stuff that comes with, you know, pitching a tent and living in a space where people aren't supposed to to live. What's well, interesting because this story in the paper a couple of weeks ago, and again, this is a woman who's an advocate for the homeless. She says, "Look, the tents can remove an incentive for people to seek temporary shelter and longer-term housing options. You know, in the short term, a tent offers an easier solution: no rules, no curfews, no applications, nothing." They deliver food to the people in the tent, and that eliminates the need to go by nearby meal sites that serve the homeless community. Um, you know, plus, you know, once you go to like the rescue missions and things like that, you, you might have a chance for getting a continuum of care sort of thing. Um, you know, no, it, it's you know, it's bad. All right, our number is four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I confess, I don't understand why authorities continue to allow large groups of people to simply put up tents under the freeway overpass in downtown Milwaukee and, and stay there. I think it's, it's unsafe. Uh, it's unsafe for the, the people that are in the tents. Um, because, you know, who knows that person in the tent next to you? You know, they got drug problems. they got all sorts of things. It, it's definitely, I think, unsanitary. I don't think it's good for the community in general. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, putting our best foot forward. we got the Democratic National Convention coming, you know, a year from now. All right, are, are we going to are we going to have the tent city allowed to operate during the Democratic National Convention? And hear me out on this one. If if we if we say, well, no. You know, we, we can't we can't have all the, these tents and people living under a freeway overpass. You know, we can't have it when, you know, Milwaukee's, you know, in the, in the national spotlight. If we take that as a position, then my comment would be, well, if, if we can't have it during the Democratic National Convention, well, we, we shouldn't have it a year before the Democratic National Convention. And I guess I, I look at this and I understand you say, well, you know, people have to go somewhere. Well. Allowing people to live under the freeway in tents, it, it delays them from having to make that intentional choice that they're they're going to go that they are going to end up going somewhere. And I look for many people, it's I understand that there's for many of people that are there, there there's issues with long term homelessness and mental illness and things like that. But the bottom line is, in in a major city. You cannot have 30 or 40 or 50 tents with people setting up long term there. It's not good for the city and it's not good for them. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, hello. Hi. I work right near there and I noticed that um, they were once the backdrop to the streetcar where it parks right there. 
Now all of a sudden they start talking about the DNC and everything's coming here. And now they didn't take care of the problem. They just scooted them down the street a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous, right, where the on-ramp is. Yeah. I mean, it's only helping these people stay there and hold their hand out and ask for money. It's causing accidents. These people can get help. They're not that far from the shelter, but you're exactly right. Why would you go? Right. Why, why, right, why, go to, why go to a rescue mission or the shelter or whatever where they're going to have rules, where the rules are going to say, hey, you can come in here, but you can't drink, for example. Exactly. You know, um, why, why go into those places when, here, I'm going to hang out here and there's not going to be any sort of rules and they're going to bring me my food and they're going to bring me, you know, the, the clothing and things like that. You're enabling a really bad situation. Yeah, they need to help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Give them a chance to help their own selves. Right. They no. need to go for help. No, thanks. Thanks for call. Well, again, and it's and again, I'm not even, I'm not arguing against against help. My point is, the, these tent cities. I, I think, in many respects, you you make it easy. You enable people to not seek the help. You know, and that's what some of these homeless advocates are saying. You know, if, you, if you've got to go to the rescue mission to get your meals or, or wherever, the soup kitchen or whatever, there's going to be people that see you. There's going to be people that check up on you. If, on the other hand, here, you know, take a hunk of canvas, hang out under the freeway, and we'll just bring you food, there, there, there's nobody doing, you know, meaningful sort of checks on people's health or, or whatever. And, again, I understand a lot of people who are doing this, they don't like the rules. Hey, if I go to this particular shelter, they say I have to be in by 9 o'clock, and they say I can't drink, and they certainly say I can't do drugs, etc. Well, I don't want those sort of restrictions, so I'm just going to live in the tent. Again, I go back to my basic premise. If, if, we're, if we would all agree that when the Democratic National Convention comes here a year from now, that, that that's, that's not a good image, something has to be done and something will be done, well, why not do it now? Because it's it's not just optics; it's not good for the people that are homeless. And I understand the some of these groups that are providing them food and the wherewithal to kind of stay under the freeway overpass. They think they're helping. I would say, with due respect, you're not. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Now, there really is one interesting thing that's playing out politically, and the whole issue of health care. You have, for years and years, you had all the Republicans who wanted to do away with Obamacare. Okay, well, now that might happen in the courts. You have some Democrats on the far left who want to do away with private insurance. We're going to blow up the entire system, despite the fact that a large number of Americans, a majority of Americans, get their health insurance through their employers. And, look, everybody everybody cares about costs and deductible. But the truth of the matter is most people are happy, as a general rule, with their insurance and with the choices that they have. And yet you have some people on the left who say, we want to blow up this entire system, and what we want to do is we want to go to Medicare for all. And we want to do away with all the private insurance system. So million people who work in the private insurance system, you're going to be out of your job. And, and we're going to do Medicare for all. And we're going to try to figure out where we're going to get the money and we're going to deal with the consequences. Interestingly, into this mix wades Joe Biden, of all things. And Biden is staking out the middle, more moderate sort of position. He says, no, I, I don't want to go to Medicare for all. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, millions and millions of Americans like their present insurance. I don't want to deprive them of that. I, I don't want to take that away from them 
which I think, you know, has an appeal. On the flip side, he says, no, but we need to do more with Obamacare. And so what I'd like to do is I want to I want to expand access to it. And I want to guarantee people with pre-existing illnesses get coverage and things like that. I never thought I would be saying this, and I'm not endorsing this. But I will tell you, given the options that are out there from the Democrats, let's blow up the health care system. Everybody... The tens of millions of people who get insurance through your employer, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. But trust us, trust us, it, it will be better. All right. I, I don't think there's a lot of people that are there. Biden, on the other hand, is saying, no, you want to keep your private insurance, you keep your private insurance. But let's strengthen some of the protections of, of Obamacare. Let's try to make it more affordable and let's give people more access to it. Candidly, I think in 2020, I don't know where we're going to be in 2025 or where we're going to be in 2030, but in 2020, I think that argument could have a lot of appeal. You know, Republicans got just hammered in 2018 about, you know, things that they, they want to take away people's access to health care if you've got pre-existing conditions. Now, that's not true, but, but, but that was what the argument was. Biden is trying to stake out a middle ground. Now, that might get him killed by the left. The people who want the Medicare for all and let's have socialized medicine might get him killed. On the other hand, it might be something that really distinguishes him from some of the people on the loony left. And it could be, uh, again, a winning issue. Biden can't turn his back on Obamacare as a political matter because he was the vice president under President Obama. But but still. This might be closer to where the country is in 2020, certainly than where the people on the far left are, and maybe even where people on the right who you know thought they wanted to completely do away with Obamacare, but now can't decide what to replace it with. You know, Biden actually, believe it or not, might be leading on this particular issue. Okay, when we come back, this is, by the way, we have declared it is the week of John McCure, Gru and I. Our question every day is, what can we do to make John's life easier and better and more successful? We will put our thoughts to that this entire week, but he's in next. Stick around.